Thank you for leading us in worship as you always do. I hope you're enjoying a happy Canada Day weekend. Um, I was talking with Elias in the lobby before the service. He had family come over for Canada Day. Uh, for us, the whole family lives in the same house, so we didn't have to go anywhere. We didn't have to do anything, but we had hot dogs and hamburgers and listened to the fireworks. We didn't see the fireworks. They were too far away, but we heard them. They sounded good, so we enjoyed that, and I hope you had a good time this weekend. There's still some time left, but I'm, I hope that uh, this was a good Canada Day holiday for you. Today in our service, we want to finish our series on church essentials, answering the who's, the what's, and the why's of church. You may be thinking, I can't remember how long it is we've been doing this. It's been weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Well, this is the last one. So just so you can be anticipating what's coming next, starting next Sunday, Pastor Nick is going to share with us uh, start a new series called Summer in the Psalms. Summer in the Psalms. And we're going to work our way, not through all 150, don't worry, but we're going to do a selection of maybe six or seven different kinds of psalms. Um, and Pastor Nick is going to introduce Psalm 1 and 2 next Sunday. So if uh, that interests you, come on back next Sunday. But that's not what we're dealing with today. Today we're dealing with the last message in this series. We've talked at the very beginning, uh, uh, Pastor Nick preached a sermon on what is the church. And then we talked about missions, and then we talked about membership, and then we talked about uh, different leaders in the church, elders and deacons, and baptism, and communion. And so you may say to yourself, what's left We've covered everything already. There's nothing left. Well, the last one we want to talk about is, is probably the most fundamental question that we need to ask. And that is, what is the message of the church? What is the message of the church? Now, Lots of people come to church and they hear words all the time. We have our own sort of inside baseball language that we use. Um, my son is a software engineer, and when he talks with his friends, he's speaking English, but I don't understand what he is saying. <laughs> and sometimes when Aaron and Daniel are practicing at the beginning, and they'll be talking to each other about the music, and they'll be saying English words, but I have no idea what they're saying. We'll transpose this into this, and we'll move this. And I, what? Huh? I don't understand. And sometimes that can happen in church, too. We use words all the time, and they just sort of become words. And if we're not exactly sure what they mean, we fill them in with our own meaning, and then just move forward. So today, the, the, as I said, the title is, What is the Message of the Church? And the answer to that question, very simply, is the gospel. 
And this is one of those words that you don't hear very often outside of church. You don't hear people in the grocery store sharing stories about the Toronto Maple Leafs and the gospel, or the Toronto Blue Jays and the gospel, or their favorite TV show and the gospel, or what they saw on the internet and the gospel. This is a church word. And so it becomes vitally important since the gospel is the message of the church that we understand it, that we understand what it means, what we need to do with it, and how we can do that. And so that's the outline for the message today. Three points. Number one, what is the gospel? We use this word all the time. What does it mean? What does this word mean? So we'll talk about that first. Secondly, we'll answer a why question. If the gospel is vitally important for the church, why is it so important for us to share it? Why do we need to share it? Why can't I just keep it for me? Why can't we just keep it for us? It's something good. That's what the word gospel means, good news. Keep, keep it to yourself. It's like a stock tip. You don't share it with the whole world. You keep it yourself so you can make all the money for yourself. So why should we share the gospel? The last point we're going to make is how. How can we preach or how can we share the gospel? So those are our three points for today. So let's start. Ooh, I almost forgot. Before I say anything more, we need to pray so that God will bless what I'm about to say. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, for his coming to earth, living a perfect life, dying a perfect death on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin. Thank you that you raised him from the dead and have seated him at your right hand. Thank you that for those of us who know him as Savior and Lord, that he is interceding for us right now on our behalf, speaking to you on our behalf, bringing to you our petitions, our, our needs, our hopes, our dreams. So we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the impact that it's had in our lives. We pray that it would be not limited to us in this room or those that are listening online, but that it would be contagious. It would be something that we are excited to share with others. Give us the tools, give us your Holy Spirit's power to do that. So now as we look at your word, I pray that you would cleanse my lips to speak your truth and that you would open our hearts to hear from you and may Jesus Christ be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so point number one. What is the gospel? Again, we use this word all the time in church. Some churches even have it in their name. But what is the gospel? Now, we often think of the word gospel as strictly related to the New Testament. And that's true. The word gospel is never used in the Old Testament. But I'm going to say something that sounds weird but it's not weird. Um, the Old Testament is directly connected to the gospel. 
The word gospel is never used in the Old Testament, but the Old Testament is directly connected to the gospel. I'll explain that in a moment. But before that, the word gospel, how many times do you think the word gospel appears in the New Testament? It's a trivia question. No bonus points. The answer is 94. 94 times the word gospel is used in the New Testament. 76 times it is used in the noun form. And uh, the first time I preached this sermon, there was a man sitting in the audience who had just come to China from Greece. And he was a native Greek speaker. And so I was embarrassed to say the Greek word in front of him that I would botch the accent. So I actually got him to say it. So if I remember what he said correctly, it's pronounced Uangelion. Oh, sorry, no, Uangelion. Sorry, see, I can't even do it right. Uangelion, which literally means good news. The E-U sound on the front means good, and the Angelion means news. It literally means good news. 76 times it's used as a noun. 18 times it's used as a verb. That's uangelizo, which means to proclaim or share or preach or say the good news. Now, of those 94 times, where in the New Testament does this word appear? If you look at the Gospels, this word or these two words, the noun and the verb, are used 14 times. Jesus uses this word to preach about the kingdom of God. Jesus preaches the gospel of the kingdom of God. In the book of Acts, this word is used seven times, where the apostles preach the good news to the world. But it's in Paul's letters that this word appears 70 times. So 70 out of the 94 uses appear in Paul's letters. Paul loves this word. He loves it a lot. And he uses it to talk about preaching the message of Jesus. Later in the New Testament, it appears in 1 Peter twice, where Peter talks about preaching the message of salvation. And it even appears in the book of Revelation once, where an angel proclaims the good news to the world. So the vast majority of the cases, as I said, of, or uses of this word appear in Paul's letters. So we're, we're going to work through some verses to talk about when Paul uses this word or when any of the New Testament speakers and writers use this word, what is it that they mean? And so I have four key points as to what the word gospel, the meaning of this word, what does it include? The first point I want to make is it has always been God's plan. The gospel has always been God's plan. To put it more bluntly, God does not have a plan B. God does not have a plan B. He only has plan A. 
and he executes plan A to the fullest. How do I know that the gospel has always been God's plan? When Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he's going to spend a long time talking about resurrection, but at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about the gospel and how it is related to resurrection. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. In accordance with the Scriptures. What, what Scriptures is Paul talking about? Does he have the Gospels? Does he have Hebrews? Does he have Revelation? No. He's talking about the Old Testament. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with what the Old Testament said. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with what the Old Testament said. In other words, the gospel has always been God's plan. It is announced in the Old Testament. And what Paul shared with the Corinthian church comes from the Old Testament to show them, to prove to them that Jesus is the Messiah and that is the good news. One more verse related to this. And this one, again, sounds a little bit weird. Paul, in Galatians chapter 3, talking about Gentiles being part of the family of God and can experience faith in Jesus, Paul says this, Galatians 3, verse 8, And the scripture, again, meaning the Old Testament, and the Old Testament foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. To Abraham. The gospel was preached to Abraham. Jesus hadn't come yet. Jesus wasn't going to come for another 1,800 years. And yet the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham in which God said to him, In you, Abraham, shall all the nations be blessed. In other words, God's plan is not modified, it's not tweaked, it's not adjusted from the very beginning. That's a quote from Genesis chapter 12. 
And you could go back even earlier. You could go to the very first verse of the Bible, which John picks up in John chapter 1 to talk about Jesus being there at creation. It's always been God's plan. The gospel has always been God's plan. That's an important, my major in seminary was hermeneutics, that's an important thing to always remember. When you read the Old Testament, you are not done understanding the Old Testament until you look for Jesus. If you don't see Jesus in what you're reading in the Old Testament, you're not done yet. Because the gospel is in the Old Testament, the gospel is in the New Testament. It has always been God's plan. Point number two. The gospel tells the story of Jesus. What is the content of the good news? Good news is only good because something good happens. What is the good news? And so when we look for the specific details of the good news, the first place we can obviously look are the Gospels themselves. That's why they're called the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The four Gospels tell the story of Jesus. Now there are four because each of them is writing to a different audience and they're trying to explain the Gospel, the good news of Jesus to various different groups. But as we already found, the word gospel is used all over the New Testament. And there are other passages that are much more compact. 1 Corinthians 15, which we already read, the first four verses talk about it. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, uh, where Again, Paul uses almost like a V-shape where he has Jesus in heaven, he humbles himself, comes to earth, dies on the cross, and because of that, God resurrects him and brings him back to heaven and gives him a name above every name. That is a summary of the gospel. An even shorter example of that can be found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, where in very compact language, Paul tells Timothy the mystery of godliness and the gospel. So when you condense it down to its, its most essential form, what is the story of Jesus? The story is simply this. Jesus came to earth from heaven as God's son. He lived a perfect and sinless life. And because he lived that sinless and perfect life, his death on the cross was able to be sufficient to pay the penalty for sin. But he didn't stay dead. God, because of his obedient life and his obedient death, raised him from the dead in victory three days later from the tomb and raised him up to glory in heaven so that he could be all in all. That is the story of Jesus. That too is a part of the gospel. Point number three, what is the effect? God has a plan to bring Jesus to do this work 
What is the result? Point three, it brings free salvation. The gospel brings free salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, probably the most famous verse on free salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. The gospel is good news. It tells the story of Jesus, which can bring free salvation. You cannot earn it. You cannot buy it. It is something that Jesus has done for you. So when you believe the gospel by faith, that is what puts you in right relationship with God. Not what you do, not who you are, but what you believe by faith. The gospel brings free salvation. The last point I want to make about what is the gospel, point number four, is it is for the whole world. And there are lots and lots of verses related to this. Matthew 24, Mark 13, Romans 1, Romans 16, Galatians 3, Revelation 14. All of these verses talk about how the gospel needs to go to every person in the world. I'll read one of those for you. Matthew 24, verse 14 says this. And this gospel of the kingdom, Jesus says, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So what is the the good news? What is the gospel then? A very simple definition. We've looked at a bunch of verses and things. Let's, Let's distill it down to its most basic elements. The gospel is the good news. What is the good news? God has fulfilled his promised plan. He has sent Jesus to live a perfect life, to die on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin so that he could be resurrected and glorified forever. And now that good news, the way of salvation, has been opened to all nations through faith in Jesus. That is the gospel. That is what we believe here at Arendelle Bible Chapel. Not only do we believe that, other Bible-believing churches believe that as well, but that is the essence of the gospel. So once we understand what the gospel is, and if this is a gospel-preaching and a gospel-believing church, the next question we need to answer is, Why do we need to tell anybody? Once we know the answer, aren't we done? Once I have it for me, aren't I done? Isn't that the end? I get it. I have it. I win. The end. No. Why should we share the gospel? Why should we proclaim the good news? Number one reason is 
Sharing it is an essential part of the gospel. The good news isn't good until it's shared. If I know something that's really good, right now it's just knowledge. But if I tell you, and I tell you, and I tell you, and I tell you, now it's news. Otherwise, it's simply secret knowledge. But it only becomes news when it's shared. The gospel isn't the gospel until it's shared. That's why Jesus commands and why the epistles write about this idea that the gospel needs to go all over the world. It is an essential part of the gospel. It must be shared. Second reason why we should share the gospel is Jesus told us to. It is a command of Jesus. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Acts 1, 8. And the verse I'm about to read, Mark 16, 15. All tell us what Jesus said right before he went back to heaven. What he wants us to do. Mark 16, 15 puts it this way. And he said to them, Go into all the world and keep the gospel to yourself. <laughs> Obey me, do what I ask you to do, but keep your mouth shut. Is that what Jesus says? Pfft, no. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. That's pretty comprehensive. The whole creation. Good news is only good when it's shared. So it's an essential part of the gospel. Jesus tells us to do it. So what's my motivation? Why should I want to share the gospel? Well, there are two motivations that we have. Both of them rooted in the same thing. We should be willing to proclaim the gospel because we should be motivated by love. The first love we should be motivated by is love for God. When we begin to think carefully, when we begin to ruminate, when we begin to ponder what Jesus has done for us, what else can our response be except to respond in love to God? 1 John 4, 19 says, We love because he first loved us. Augustine, one of my favorites, a long time ago said, Love God and do what you want. You say, that sounds terrible. That sounds evil. But you know what he was really saying? If you really love God and you really are dedicated to loving him, what you will want to do is please him. Love God and do what you want. Because what you want is to please him. So, why should we proclaim the good news? Because 
We love God and we want to be obedient to his call. Secondly, we are motivated by love for others. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 43 to 45, says this. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. It's easy to love people who love us. I can do that. That's easy. My wife loves me. I love her. Easy. But that person in the grocery store who cuts in line in front of you, do I love them? Uh, the person who makes my life difficult at work, not Pastor Nick, <laughs> do I love them? That teacher at school who I think hates me, do I love them? The good news is good. And it's not just good for me, and it's not just good for you. It's good for the enemies of God. And we have a duty, we have an obligation, motivated by love, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the whole of creation. Last point. How? How can we share the gospel? How can we preach the gospel? You know, it's all good to have all this knowledge in your head about what the gospel is and why it's important to do. But when the rubber meets the road, when the real world happens, how in the world am I supposed to tell my family, my friends, my neighbors, the people that I know, how am I supposed to tell them about Jesus? That's a complicated question. And we could spend a long time, and by a long time, I don't mean this, this Sunday. I mean weeks and weeks and weeks talking about this. But we're not. I'm going to give you some broad strokes ideas to think about. First place we always turn to when we are thinking about how to do something is the Bible. What are the biblical models? How does Jesus share the gospel? So I would invite you at some point, not now, but at some point, today, this week, sometime, look at John chapter 3. When Jesus shares the gospel with Nicodemus, how does he do it? John chapter 4, when Jesus shares the gospel with the Samaritan lady, how does he do it? What is his plan? What is his strategy? What does he do? In Acts chapter 7, Stephen shares the gospel with the high priest. Now, it doesn't end well for him, but he shares the gospel. He shares the truth of the gospel. How does he do it? Acts chapter 8, Philip and the Ethiopian. When Philip comes, he shares the gospel by explaining to him what Isaiah 53 really is about. Even the Apostle Paul, 
in Acts 22, shares the gospel. In Acts 26, he shares the gospel with Agrippa. How do these people do it? If it's in the Bible, it's probably worth us taking a look at, seeing how they share the gospel. So I would invite you to look over those passages and to ask the question, how do these people share the gospel? What can I learn from them in how they shared with the people directly in front of them? Beyond that, I have what I hope to be what I'm calling practical advice. And I have five points of practical advice, and then we're done. How do I share the gospel? First point of practical advice I have is very blunt. Do your job. Do your job. What am I talking about, do your job? 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15 says this. Have no fear of them, talking about people who oppose you, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. What is your job? Your job is to share the gospel with people with gentleness and respect. Now you say to me, David, you went to, a, went to seminary for a billion years. You studied Greek and Hebrew and theology and all this stuff. This is easy for you. I can't do it. I don't know very much. I'm a brand new Christian. I don't know very much. Do you want to know how to do your job? Share your experience of faith in Jesus. Do you know you? Do you know you? I think you know you. You know what Jesus has done for you. You know how he saved you. You know what the gospel did in your life. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to know the, Bibles, the Bible forward and back. What you need to know is the gospel and what the gospel and what Jesus did for you. Share that. That is what you can do. Practical advice number two. First was you do your job. Second part of that advice is let the Holy Spirit do his job. Let the Holy Spirit do his job. John 16, verse 8, puts it this way. And when he, that is the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Let the Holy Spirit do his job. It's my job to share the good news with gentleness and respect. Tell people what Jesus has done for me. But to put it very frankly, 
I convince no one. I save no one. God, through his Holy Spirit, saves all who will be saved. Do your job, but also let the Holy Spirit do his job. It is not your task to bludgeon someone into faith. It is your job to present the good news of Jesus and let the Holy Spirit do his job. Let him do his job. Number three, live what you believe. Matthew 5.16 puts it this way. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I don't know about you, but the number one thing that I hear against Christians, what's the number one thing you hear about Christians? Hypocrites. They don't do what they say they believe. They're all hypocrites. When people see that you act like a Christian, it's going to have an effect. Live what you believe. Do your job. Let the Holy Spirit do his job. Live what you believe. And people will see and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Number four. Show the love of Jesus. John 13, 34 and 35 says this, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people, not just other believers, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Christians need to love. We need to live what we believe. We need to love like we really mean it. That will speak volumes to those around us. Last piece of practical advice. We need to be willing to really listen to people's needs. When I was a little boy, my mother always used to say, you have two ears and one mouth. You have two ears and one mouth. What was she saying? You need to listen first before you talk. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win the Jews. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake 
of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Sometimes we get so excited about sharing what we have that we forget to hear what other people need. Two ears, one mouth. Paul lived it out. We need to be really, or we need to be willing to really listen to people's needs. So to close, I want to talk about three books. Uh, these three books, when you go out to the library, are sitting on the, the little counter area right at the front. There are two copies of each of these three books that are brand new to our library, untouched. You can be the first person to touch them in our library. What books am I talking about? Three books. Book number one is called Questioning Evangelism by Randy Newman, not the singer, a different guy, Randy Newman, who uh, worked and continues to work in the Washington, D.C. area, mostly working with university students, sharing the gospel. This idea of the title, Questioning Evangelism, is not saying, why do we need evangelism? That's not the question that he's asking. What he is trying to get across in this book is, we spend so much time telling, we need to spend more time asking. Asking people about what they think and what they believe. And when we show that we are interested in them, it often opens the door for us to share. But we have to ask and listen first, and then that gives us an opportunity to share. Two copies of that book are available in the library. Second book I would like to recommend is called Bringing the Gospel Home. Also by Randy Newman, also not the singer. This is a book where he spends all of his time focusing on sharing the gospel with family and friends that are close to you. That's probably the hardest group of people to share your faith with because they know you inside out. They know me inside out. And so in this book, he humbly gives advice and practical illustrations and examples to say, how can I humbly, obediently share the gospel with the people who are closest to me? And it's called Bringing the Gospel Home. Last book. It's written by Jackson Wu, Chinese man. And the name of the book is One Gospel for All Nations. It's written in English, but Jackson Wu is a guy who is serving in China now, uh, teaching in underground seminaries in China. Anyway, One Gospel for All Nations is a book where the strategy of the book is to give you practical advice to share the gospel with people who come from a different culture than you. You may not know anything about 
this Asian country or this African country or this South American country or this European country. But he gives advice based on the Bible. He said whenever the gospel is shared in the Bible, he focuses on three things. Kingdom, covenant, and creation. And he said depending on where in the world the person comes from, one of those three ways is an avenue to share the gospel in a way that is meaningful to them in their own culture. Otherwise, we end up talking like this. So as I said, all three of these books, right at the front of the library, two copies are available of each book. I would encourage you to take those out, read those. But if you never pick up those books or you never think about any of, of what those books have to say, remember the three points. What is the gospel? It is the message that Jesus came and lived a perfect life, died on the cross for sin, has risen from the dead, is, has been glorified, and that message is for the whole world to receive. Why should we share it? Because it is essential. That's what makes it good news. Because Jesus told us to. And because we are motivated by love. How do we do it? We do our job. We let the Holy Spirit do his job. We live it out. And we love each other. That is the gospel. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have both given us the gospel in Jesus Christ himself and you have given us the gospel in your word. I pray that as your people, we would live out the gospel, that we would live out its requirement to be shared with the whole world. Help us to say it. Help us to live it. Help us to be people of good news to those around us, to our families, to our friends, to the people we work with, to the people that we meet, to the, anyone that you bring in our path. May we be gospel lights to those around us. I pray for anyone who is here today that doesn't know the good news of Jesus, that even as they listen to this message about the good news that we need to share that they would accept this good news, that they would believe the good news that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and paid the penalty. All they need is to believe and trust in him, give their lives to him, and he will save them. So I pray for us as a church that we would be the salt and light that you want us to be and that Jesus Christ would be glorified and lifted up as we share him with others as he has commanded us to do. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.